0: Thank you. You may be seated. And the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed at this time for Children's Church downstairs. And for everyone else, I invite you to open a Bible, if you have one, to the book of First Samuel, to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament. And if you find. Uh, start from the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then 1 Samuel. So fairly early in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 13, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 15, and we will also be looking today at Isaiah chapter 7 and verses... 1 through 25, two stories this morning. The Isaiah passage will be on the screen. The uh, Samuel passage we'll look at uh, just so you're not flipping back and forth trying to make it a little easier and more convenient on you this morning. So we've been in this series on soul care, and we've been talking about it not just to care for our souls, but with the larger purpose that we want to increase our capacity to possess the presence of Jesus in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about things like identity in Christ. We've talked about repentance and receiving the Lord's forgiveness, which then we are led then to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Last week, uh, Dr. Dale talked about being yielded or surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And that's really the purpose. It's, It's not that our souls would get better. Though that is something, you know, and that we get rid of junk in our lives. And that is a, a purpose of this. But the ultimate purpose is not just that we would get healing in our soul. The ultimate purpose is that there would be less junk and garbage in our lives. So that there is more capacity, more room for the presence of Jesus and for the presence in the whole, of the Holy Spirit in us. And so just think about our soul as a container. And if... If there's unforgiveness and if there's identity that we're running after like performance or control or, or those kinds of things. Or, or if we're holding on to bitterness and anger because of that thing that was done to me by someone else and I haven't forgiven. All that stuff clogs our soul up. And the more our soul is clogged up, the more we are restricted from the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit moving freely in us. And so if we can get that junk out then there's more freedom for the Spirit of God to move in us, more capacity for Jesus in us. And that's what we want. We want Christ. We want Jesus. And so today, as we are talking in these subjects today, we talk about fear. And then the series title is, How is it with your soul? Today, the question we want to look at is, how are we dealing with fear? We're going to look at these two kings Old Testament kings of Israel, King Saul the I, and one later down the road, King Ahaz in Isaiah, and uh, see how they dealt with fear so that we can learn some lessons. Five actions to take this morning. Sermon notes are in your bulletin. You can fill those out if you're a note taker. There'll be some extra notes on the screen with each one of those. So five actions to take as we're looking at how are you dealing with fear. The first one is this, and that is to realize that everyone experiences fear. Realize that everyone experiences fear. A number of years ago, I was at a conference that was talking about caring for your soul. And one of the messages the speaker was giving on caring for your soul was on fear. And at the end of it, he talked about fear and he said, okay, we're going to do something This may sound hokey. And you may listen to me this morning explain this and you may say that sounds really hokey. But here's what happened. So he said, all right, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. And we are asking the Holy Spirit to give us a picture of a garden that would represent your soul. And in that garden, we're going to give and ask the Holy Spirit to give freedom that for different fears that are in your life, there's a tree or there's a plant or a bush or a flower that would represent each of these different fears that would be present in your life. And so he's talking about all these different fears and he's saying some of you have these bushes all over the place maybe and some of them have flowers and some of these all over the place. And like he's talking about how lots of people are going to have lots of fears and all these bushes and plants all over the thing. And I have this picture of my garden, and it's one tree in the middle. And I'm listening as he's walking people through this, and I'm like, oh, so I'm pretty good on this. They've got all these fears. They've got all bushes and all these things. There's thorn bushes and all. So I'm doing pretty good. I just got one tree. And then he pauses and he says, there are some of you, like the garden that I have, that has been in mine, that I've had to work through, you have one tree in your garden. I'm like, "Ooh, okay, that's me. He said, if you have one tree in your garden, that is because fear is the central issue of your entire life. (laughs) And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I wish I had a bunch of little plants around, not one big tree in the middle of my garden. I shared that story because that helped me to understand that it's not some people deal with fear. The truth is everyone deals with fear. There's not a person on planet earth that does not deal with fear. So much so that do you know what the number one command in all of scripture is? Do not fear or do not be afraid or some variation of that. There is no greater command that shows up more in scripture, more than like love your neighbor, love God. The greatest command is do not fear. Do not be afraid. Now, if that's the greatest command, if that's the one that shows up the most, I think we need to take note of it, don't you? If it's there the most, it's not, well, fear is somebody else's issue. Fear is all of our issues. In First Samuel chapter 13, we see Saul deal with it. Saul and his men against the Philistines had fear. It says, 1 Samuel 13, beginning in verse 1, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah. Jonathan is Saul's son at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their home. So he got 3,000 men. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost with his thousand at Gibeah, and the Philistines heard about it. And so then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let all the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost. And now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Because the Philistines were so angry, verse 5, they assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots. 6,000 charioteers. And soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore, they went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth The odds are not good. It's a lot versus a few. When the men, verse 6 of Israel, saw that, the situa- that their situation was critical... And that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. In other words, they ran from the battle. And Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. 3,000 versus soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Fear filled the army. Fill it filled Saul. Ahaz, as he attacks, or as, as he is king, there were attacks against Jerusalem. In Isaiah chapter seven, verses one through two is up on the screen. It says, "When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel." who was at this point the northern kingdom. There's been division. They have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Ahaz is the king of Judah. Remaliah is the king of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. And so they come to fight against Jerusalem, which is in the kingdom of Judah, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Fear. Fear grips Ahaz and all the people. As I said, everyone experiences fear. God knows it, He knows how we are made. He knows, and so He commands us do not fear, do not be afraid. You may think of fear and think of being afraid of the dark or being afraid of a certain sickness or death in general. You may fear losing your home or your job. You may fear losing your spouse or losing a child or grandchild. You may fear going without, not having enough. You may fear dangerous situations. You may fear spiders or flying. You may fear fill in the blank. There are tons of fears. There's also fears of the soul, fears of not being loved, fears of being rejected, fears of failing at something or putting your all into a situation and being found that you just don't have what it takes to get the job done. You may fear being out of control. The list could go on and on and on, and there may be things that are in your heart right now that you're saying, that is a fear of mine. Just know this, everyone, everyone experiences fear. For some of you, it's obvious, yes, this is my fear. For others of it, you you may say, I don't know about that. And so we want to take a moment to identify our responses to fear. There are two main responses to fear. We'll see it in Sam, in Saul and we'll see it in Ahaz. The first response is to fight. Response to fear, the adrenaline kicks up and your response to fear is to fight. It's the response to do something, to respond in anger, to respond by trying to control a situation that is fearful or dangerous or out of control. Often those emotions and those actions are actually propelled and motivated by fear. In chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, verses 8 through 12, here is what Saul does. It says, He waited seven days, the time that had been sent by, set by Samuel the prophet, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So you have overwhelming odds. You have men in your army quaking in fear, and now they're running. And Saul, in his fear, decides, I've waited long enough. Samuel hasn't showed up. It's time to do something. It's time to take action. And so motivated by fear, he does this. Verse 9. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. It wasn't his role to do this. It was Samuel's job as the prophet to do this. Verse 10, just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. Isn't that that always how, you know, the whole just in the nick of time? Well, it was the opposite way. He gets done doing it, and then Samuel arrives. And Saul went out to greet him. Verse 11, Samuel asks, what have you done? What have you done? And Saul replied, Here's the justification for his fear-motivated action. When I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. Sounds on the surface like an admirable thing, right? I'm, a, I'm here to seek the Lord's favor, but it wasn't his role to do this. He was to wait. And so motivated by fear, he says, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. He sacrifices out of fear. He does what was not his role, Because he felt like, I have to do something. It's in the fight. I got to do something. Sitting here and waiting, I can't do it. I have to do something. So he does something. Later, you read of Saul when he was angry out of fear that his kingdom was going to be lost. He threw spears at David. Knowing that his kingdom was lost, we'll see it in a few minutes. He hunted David down, the new Lord's anointed later in the story of Israel. All out of fear. I'm going to go do something motivated by his fear. Ahaz, in chapter 7, verses 3 to 14, um, says, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son share sh- Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and do not be afraid. This is what Isaiah is to say to, to Ahaz. Be careful, keep calm, do not be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs, the king of Iran and the son of the king of Israel. These smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezim and Aram and of the son of Remaliah, Aram and Ephraim and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet, yet, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Ahaz does what it seems like is a good thing too. No, I'm not going to put the Lord my God to the test. But Isaiah, clearly, you've already resisted men. You haven't listened to the fact that I'm saying, don't be afraid, be calm, be calm. This will not, these, these threats against you will not overtake you. Don't, listen, don't worry. You have not listened to me. Now when the Lord says, and I have said, ask the Lord for a sign, you say no to me and you say no to the Lord. The Lord will still give you a sign. Ahaz, motivated by fear, powers up on his own strength and eventually goes to get the help of another nation, Assyria allies with them, instead of listening to the Lord and listening to Isaiah, he goes and aligns himself with a pagan nation for military help for defense. After the Lord said, don't worry, don't worry, this will not come. Both Samuel and Ahaz fight. Motivated by their fear, they go do something, they take action. And these are the things we actually celebrate, don't we? (laughs) In the midst of fear, boy, he or she, they went and they acted. On the surface, we would say, what leadership? These men did something. They did something to solve the problem. But out of fear, we will see that there will be consequences in a moment. The other reaction is flight. Fight or flight. Chapter 13, verses 6 through 7 we're reminded that when the men of Israel, back in First Samuel, when the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that there was, the that the army was hard pressed, they hid in the caves, they hid among the thickets, among the rocks, and in the pits and the cisterns. They even ran away. Flight. It's interesting. Earlier in chapter nine of First Samuel, verse twenty-one, when God says to Samuel, "This is the king right here," about Saul. Anoint him as king. He is the one who is going to be the king of Israel. Saul's answer in the midst of this is, Well, I'm just the least of the tribe of Benjamin. Is like all the reasons why I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. And shortly after, in chapter 10, verse 22, when Samuel gathers the nation of Israel together to introduce them to their king, he's going to anoint them in the presence of all the people. They're like, Where's Saul at? He's hiding in the baggage that was being carried along. (laughs) Two times. No, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. And then when it's time to actually be made king, he's hiding amongst the baggage. Flight. Fear will do that. Sometimes you may think, oh, fear is when you run away, when you're paralyzed. But fear can also be, i got to do something, I have to act. And when it's motivated by fear, it will lead us to the third action. And that is to know that giving in to fear has consequences. When we act based on fear, we sin. Hear that. When we act based on fear, it will lead us to sin. And sin always has consequences. Chapter 13, verses 13 through 15 says, about, about Saul, Samuel says, You acted foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart who will be, who is King David and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command." Saul's action out of fear led him to lose his kingdom. His fear motivated him to offer the sacrifices. What seemed good was not. It proved disastrous for him and for the whole nation. Instead of establishing a kingdom under Saul's family, another, King David, would be established in his place. It set off this eventual um, cycle of jealousy of David, of obsession to find him. And it ultimately led to the end of Saul and his son Jonathan to his family. His sin, motivated by fear, had deathly consequences. The action of Ahaz, motivated by fear, led Judah into punishment. There's a lot of scriptures here. I'm just going to read the first couple, I encourage you to read that whole chapter so you have the whole section. But after this, the virgin will be with child and he will be called Emmanuel. It says he will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. Basically, when he's old enough to know right and wrong. But before the, no, the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste the Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. And the remainder of that passage, uh, which for the sake of time we're not going to read, details how they will suffer under the king of Assyria. How eventually Assyria will come. How eventually their, their idol worship will influence the worship of God in the temple. There will be disastrous consequences for Israel, or for Judah. Ahaz led Judah into this place of punishment. You see, giving in to fear will lead us to sin. And sin always has consequences that will be felt by you, felt by me, and it will be felt by others. Israel and Judah both suffered because their kings gave in and acted according to fear. So no matter where you find yourself in life, when fear comes, if you act according to it, act motivated by it, there will be consequences. But understand this, the more leadership and the more authority that you have been given in your life, it will affect, your actions will affect, for good and for bad, others around you. In your families, if you act motivated by fear, it will lead you to sin, and there will be consequences, not just for yourself, but for your family. In the church, and so pray for me, pray for the elders, pray for leaders in the church. If we act based on fear, if we go in, we've got to do something so we fight. <laughs> go act. It's going to lead us into sin, and there will be consequences that will affect. If we give in to fear and we flight, we run away, we hold back, we shrink back, there will be consequences, not just for me or for us. There will be consequences for all of us. So pray for us. Please, I bet I ask you. You, you know that whole tree thing in my life. It's a thing that the Lord continues to work on, but it is a way that I can go is to give in to fear. So pray for me, please. Pray for our leaders. Giving in to fear has consequences. So what do we do on the positive side? How do we act? How do we deal with it? Well, we stand in faith to resist it. Stand in faith to resist fear. In Isaiah chapter 9, or chapter 7, verse 9, in the midst of all this, Word that Isaiah gives to King Ahaz that this is not going to happen. He says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, your faith in God, you will not stand at all. Understand this. We will all act in faith somehow. In the face of fear, we will all act in faith somehow. Fight or flight is actually faith in self. It is faith in myself to go do something to protect, to control this fearful situation. Or flight is protecting myself and those I care about by running away from the fearful situation. Either way, it's based on me. (laughs) It's based on me. It's what I know to do. It's what I think is right to do in the midst of this fearful situation. And so instead, we place our faith in God and act accordingly. Because you may be saying, well, you got to do something, right? You got to do something. But in the midst of fear, what we'll get to in a second, is you got to slow it down. We have to slow it down. And instead of acting impulsively in the fearful situations in front of us, We have to slow down and wait upon the Lord. Ahaz was told to stand firm in his faith in God. Because only in God will you stand. For Ahaz, if he would have listened, if he would have listened in faith, if he would have believed that what God was saying, if he would have said, yes, give me a sign to confirm this. I receive it. Do whatever you think is right, Lord. He would have been able to stand in faith in God and say, The Lord has said that these two smoldering smoldering wicks will be snuffed out, that nothing is going to happen, instead of running off. The action that he would have taken was to listen and to wait upon what the Lord would have said to do next, or to wait and watch the Lord's deliverance over his life and over Judah. But instead, He rejected, he acted in flight, and he went off doing what he thought was best. He put his faith in himself. Stand in faith, faith in God to resist fear. In the book Soul Care by Dr. Rob Reamer, he makes this quote. He says, the number one question in the heart of people for God is, do you love me? In the midst of fear, I think that's right, isn't it? This fearful situation, deep down what we're saying is, do you love me in the midst of this situation that's coming to me? Do you love me? And the number one question in the heart of God for people is, will you trust me? I think that's right on. We see the fearful situation and we go, God, what are you doing? Don't you care? And God is asking us, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And if we can get to that place where we're in faith, we're saying, God, I trust you. This fearful situation is creeping in. It's posing me. I don't know what to do. But yes, I trust you. I will stand in faith. And I will wait upon you. And I will act according to what you say. Which leads us to the last action. And that is to access the presence of Jesus. What do we do? How do we... How do we understand what God wants us to do? Well, we have to access the presence of Jesus. Isaiah 7, 14, we're coming close. Thanksgiving's on its way, which means Christmas. In the stores, you know, they've already got the Christmas decorations. So Christmas is practically here. So we might as well just do the Christmas verse, right? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him What? Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a dual fulfillment of this sign. This famous prophecy had this dual fulfillment. Ahaz soon after receiving this this sign, this word from Isaiah, this word from the Lord, had a son. And before the time that he could discern right or wrong, the son, the threat from these two kings was over. But this prophecy also has another fulfillment. And the other fulfillment came 600 years later in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ who lived a perfect and sinless life and went to the cross to pay our sin debt, to stand in the face of fear so that we can sing as we did this morning, Jesus, Jesus, your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. Your name is cannot be overcome because at the cross he overcame it all. And so God is with us. We said at the beginning, and I love how God will often work in the midst of times of worship and his people, that I don't know if you heard the various prayers of praise that were given, but I listened to all of those and I could just hear different points of the message before anyone had ever even read through or heard this. And I love that, how God will lead his people to pray and to say and to do things that wrap this all up in a beautiful picture to be able to get our attention and for him to be able to say, I'm here, I'm leading this, I'm a part of this, to remind us that he is with us. Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. And so accessing the presence of Jesus, we stand in faith to resist fear by accessing his presence. By accessing the presence of Jesus who is with us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We, we access his presence by worship. We access his presence through prayer. We access his presence through renewing our minds with scripture. We access his presence through gathering with other believers. We access his presence. And as we access his presence, that's when we begin to find out that, yes, the things that he says are true. Because we come into his presence and we see that he is with us. And it's in those times in his presence that he tells us, now, this is what you do in the face of fear. This is how you act. This is what you do. Stand and watch Or go here or do this or talk to that person or go or wait upon me. It's in the times where we access his presence that fear loses its power. And that he shows us the way in which we're going to go. So that we can resist the fight or the flight. That we can say, Lord, I'll do what you want to do. Let me tell you that in those times when fear is really strong. it may take hours it may take days it may take weeks or months before you can say ah i sense the presence of the lord during times of covid when it was so f- much fear and especially in leadership trying to figure out which way do you go and what do you do and what do you don't do and what do you accessing the presence of jesus was so difficult Not because he wasn't there, but because there was so much in the face that it just took so much time. And there seemed like days when it's like, God, are you even here? Jesus, are you here? I know you're here, but I can't sense your presence at all. I don't know what to do. I can't hear your voice. I don't know what to do. And so in those times when fear or when stress or when anxiety or when all these things are coming against you, do not be surprised if it is hard to access the presence of Jesus. And if and when that happens, don't give in to the temptation, please, of saying, Oh, God, do you even love me? I don't even know anymore. But to say, Lord, I'm just going to keep pursuing because I know you're here. I know you're with me. I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm not going to act until I know, until I know that you are here and you are guiding and you are leading. I will not move until you say, I need you. We believe that Jesus is with us. And in those times where it's harder, remind yourself of John's vision in Revelation 1, verses 17 and 18. When I saw him, the resurrected, glorious Jesus, whose eyes are like blazing fire and hair as white as wool and whose voice is like the thunder of rivers, whose feet are bronze, who's dressed in white, Glorious, blazing white. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I was here before everything started and I'll be here all the way to the end. There is nothing that will ever come that I'm not here for. Remind yourself of that. I'm the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. Based on my work on the cross, Jesus says, I have overcome it all. You don't have to be afraid. And because I was alive, or because I was dead and now I'm alive forever and ever, I hold the keys to death and Hades. In other words, there is nothing, nothing that will ever have power or authority over you in the presence of Jesus. Jesus. The storms may rage and everything may scream and come against you and you may say, does God care? But the presence of Jesus is with you and he says, I am here. I am with you. I am with you. Access his presence. When I was in elementary school, our town had a haunted house. Last week, Halloween. And so I'm sure you've seen all the hallo- all the haunted houses and all that stuff recently. But I was in elementary school and all my friends wanted to go to the ho- to the haunted house. And so I pestered, I want to go to the haunted house. I had no idea what a haunted house was, but all my friends were going. And so my dad said, all right. And it's one of those things my dad and my mom were like, what were we thinking? But they, my dad took me and we went and I tell you what, 10 feet into it, As an elementary school kid, I said, what in the world am I doing here? It was like immediate regret. And at that point, it was too late. You're already in it. And so my dad said, just close your eyes and hold on to me, and we'll get through it. I don't know what was going on around me for the rest of that, but I know that first few moments were terrifying. But my dad walked me through that. Entire thing the rest of the way. It didn't mean that all that stuff stopped. There was still all the screams and the noises and all that kind of stuff. You could still feel the presence of stuff coming from sides. But you know what? I had someone with me, walking me through, saying this is the way. In the midst of fear, it's the presence. It's the presence of the one who says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega I am the living one. I was dead, but behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to everything. You can trust me. So in the face of fear, don't react in fight or flight without first acting by accessing the presence. Because in the presence of Jesus, he will say, this is the way. This is the way. Follow me. So whether you have a couple little trees in your garden of your soul, or you're like me and you got one big tree that the Lord continually is hacking away on, know that there's one who is greater than all fear. Jesus. 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 Amen? So we want to celebrate and we want to have fellowship just as we've been this morning with the one who has overcome... The one who was dead and is alive. We want to celebrate communion together. So, if you would take that communion packet there and peel off that top.